0: Hi, and welcome to Highlight Ed, a podcast hosted by the New Brunswick Teachers Association dedicated to sharing innovative teaching and learning approaches happening around the province. Information on services provided to NBTA members and the benefits of belonging to the NBTA community and trending issues related to public education in New Brunswick and beyond. Listen to the voices of empowered educators as we highlight the teaching profession and explore how they provide quality education to our students, one conversation at a time.
1: Hello listeners, this is Dawn Beckingham, Staff Officer with NBTA. This episode is being recorded at Forest Glen School in Moncton, New Brunswick, which is situated on the traditional, unceded, and unsurrendered territory of the Mi'kmaq people. The school population is currently around 375 students and serves students from kindergarten to grade 4. Today I'm going to chat with Melanie Vino, who is a kindergarten teacher at Forest Glen School. We're going to spotlight her experience with incorporating strategies that she has learned from a professional learning session on trauma-informed approach in the classroom.
0: Hi, Melanie. Hi, Dawn. So trauma, that's a big word. It is. It's a frequently heard and used word these days. It's an important topic, though. Yes. Very real. And it affects everyone, whether we realize it or not. It it affects everyone. Everyone. It is the nature of life itself. You don't get through it without some trauma. And we're all living in a semi-post-pandemic world that has caused trauma on each and every one of us in big and small ways.
1: All right. So to let our listeners know a
0: little bit about you and who they're listening to. Yes.
1: Can you just explain a little bit about or tell us a bit about your teaching experience so far?
0: Certainly. So I am new to the teaching profession. I did my internship in the spring of 2021. So during pandemic uh, measures in place. I went on to spend a couple of months supply teaching and quickly fell into a long-term supply teaching grade one last school year. And this year I've been here teaching kindergarten. So you're fresh, right out of school, basically a new teacher. New teacher. I'm coming to teaching um, after quite a bit of life experience, though. I was a a mom first and a volunteer in our schools, uh, particularly in the breakfast club program. So,
1: you attended a PL session here in Anglophone East that was organized, I believe, by Candy Horseman, I believe, organized a professional learning session. That's correct. So, can
0: you tell me a little bit about uh, what the session was about? The session was about trauma informed approaches in our classroom. Candy was the facilitator and she brought in PhD Lori Brown, who is a trauma specialist, who also has experience as a teacher and school guidance counselor in Atlantic Canada, Northwest Territories, and elsewhere. And a lot of school-based experience that informs her. Yeah, and that's very important. When We
1: we often go to professional learning sessions and get a lot of theory. Yes. And uh, it's great when somebody can take the theory and and,
0: uh, address how it could be used in a concrete way in the classroom. Exactly. That was, I think, definitely one of the important, profound, impactful pieces of the PL. Every piece of it, it was researched. The theory was researched back. We saw all of the evidence, but then it was tied into our day-to-day experiences as teachers in the classroom. And we all had an opportunity to share our experiences. And then Lori spoke from her wealth of experience counseling in and amongst some very challenging populations and variety of grade levels and had had that root tied to all of her research and, and theory. Great, great.
1: So in general, what would be the biggest takeaways from that session?
0: An important takeaway for all of us was the prevalence of trauma, that you are better off to assume everyone is coming to you with some trauma rather than just having a particular picture of and and falling uh, prey to stereotyping who is a victim of trauma, who is coming to you with a history of trauma and who isn't, to what it is... uh, one of the safe assumptions to make because there's no harm in assuming that someone is coming with trauma.
1: And trauma is a word uh, historically that you would think of a really a tragic event happening. But there are various degrees of trauma. Suffering uh, an earthquake, for example, and yes. living through an earthquake is, is a form of trauma. But something as simple as having to move homes relocating for a child. That could
0: be a trauma. It certainly could be. She spoke to event-based trauma as well as trauma that happens over time, that's circumstantial, that is a compound effect of small traumas, large traumas. And when the trauma is ongoing like that, as it can be for so many, we think of Resilience being built from struggle, but when you are faced with trauma upon trauma and those around you are also dealing with it, you don't have that opportunity to build resilience. Right. So she looked at ways of us helping our students by creating a trauma-informed atmosphere to begin with, which I'll speak of more, um, but also meaningfully helping those dealing with Trump and working to build their resiliency resiliency is really important huge and uh, a lot of our
1: students and even adults struggle at this time with resilience there's been a lot put on on everyone yes. in the last few years so it's really important information to to know and to seek more more on definitely you wrote just recently um a post on a a district platform where that was a follow-up from your, from your professional learning session. And you described um, a read aloud time in your classroom for your kindergarten students and what it was and what it is now. Yes. So let the listeners know of what your classroom was previous to this,
0: uh, this, this, this session. So my, classroom read-aloud time, which is a very cherished time for me. I am uh, an English literature major and a lifelong book lover. It's just such an important time to connect with students to build literacy skills. It opens up the world to them, builds their life experience in a way. Just it's one of my favorite ways of connecting. It had turned into a state of chaos rather than connection. I... Was doing all of the things that I had been taught for best practices, designing careful seating, following the literacy guidelines for meeting the outcomes and how I approached the texts and the texts that I chose. But instead of having engaged students who were showing evidence of learning, I had A scene of chaos of children just unable to keep still, distracted or distracting others, over-connecting to the texts that they were connecting, vying for uh, attention and contact, climbing sometimes over one another despite their assigned seats in the mat that had been carefully chosen.
1: And we're dealing with kindergarten students here. We are here. dealing with
0: kindergarten, yes.
1: Five-year-olds, yes. for the most part. There are how many in your class? Uh, at the time, there were 19. 19. So, so if the listeners can imagine 19 five-year-olds uh,
0: trying to
1: sit, sit in <laughs> their
0: squares on an alphabet mat, crisscross with their hands to themselves and their eyes on the book engaged, waiting until they're asked a question and then showing with a thumb up that they were ready with an answer. That wasn't really what was happening.
1: So you attended this PL session on trauma-informed uh, schools. It changed my
0: practice. It was a PL that I was excited to go to. I was reading a book about it, that our school had shared copies. This is an important topic that I not a personal topic for me, as well as one that I was aware was present in my students and was trying to find meaningful ways. It was perfect timing. It was perfect timing. And I was in other parts of our routine, we start our morning with a feeling circle. We end our day with a gratitude circle play workshop. Always started with a growth mindset story or discussion. We talked about our feelings and I I found ways to provide a safe space, I felt, with all of them and try to avoid certain triggers. Mm -hmm. I don't ask weekend news. I know that not everyone has a happy home Has great weekends, that's right. Not everyone has great weekends. That can be a trigger. I was trying to avoid the triggers that I knew, but this PL, yes, very much came at the right time. And it just provided another layer of knowledge and then the meaningful ways to apply it in practice as a teacher in the classroom. So you
1: described Mm pre-session. So what changed
0: and what does it look like now? Now, the location has changed from my large, neatly squared alphabet mat, where we do a lot of our instructional carpet time to our sharing circle mat, which, in recognition of the unceded territory of the Mi'kmaq people that we are on, is a medicine wheel. And we use that space for social-emotional learning. It is now also the space of our literacy read alouds. It is not a large carpet. No, I'm looking at
1: it right now, and it's about... Six feet by six feet. That's about the size of it. It is indeed. And all of your 19 students sit on that little
0: square. Currently down to 17. 17, but... But at 19, we did as well. They sit on it or very close by it. So they're very... They're they're like sardines in a can, so to speak. Because that touches upon a part of the learning that we talked about. So the big takeaways of how to apply it focused on reflective listening. So instead of the way that we typically actively listen, trying to find a solution in a problem, to just listen and reflect back what you've heard. To use mirror neurons, show calmness, show the emotions that you want the child to be feeling so that they can mirror them. Do not meet their distress, their uncertainty with your own. Take that moment to check yourself. You can model it for them and be in that calm space and mirror it for them. And then it was the oxytocin release, Mm -hmm. being close by, having physical touch, whether in the form of another person or a comfort object, and how, in particular, someone who has trauma has a strong need a higher than average need for oxytocin release, which needs some sort of touch to elicit it. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of strength in that power of touch. It's not just on an emotional level, it's it's biological. Exactly, mm-hmm. exactly. And Lori shared all of the the science behind that with us. And so my aha moment in the PL was that By keeping the children widely spread on the mat or asking them to, and they weren't staying in their space, I wasn't providing them with that oxytocin release. I wasn't giving them that very biological chance to self-regulate and feel safe and secure. So now, before I read aloud, I call each student by name, which is another tie-in of giving them that sense of belonging, I offer them a hug or a high-five. So it's at their comfort level, but it is a physical touch. And then I have them sit down, and then they're sitting very closely beside their peers before we start the read-aloud. I've still been careful to align my choices and the reader responses that we do before and after and during with our science of reading, our literacy outcomes that we need to reach. But I'm thoughtful of being trauma-informed in those choices as well and, and making sure there is those moments of connection for them with the text and with each other during it. And... There we sit. And it's working. Close by each other. It's working. It is not working perfectly, but it is night and day from what it was right. before.
1: And how how long of a time span do they sit for the Read Aloud? What's your average time where they're actually in that activity? It would be...
0: Five to seven minutes, most okay. likely it so would be a short time. It would be a short time there, but that's they're kindergarten. That's long enough for yeah, for yes,
1: a, for a five-year-old or a exactly. six-year-old. So yeah,
0: what I will often do is take the reader's response, the initial activity, whether they are storytelling based on the topic or having a different type of turn and talk before a sharing. We sometimes move ourselves depending on how wiggly and their level of engagement they'll move in groups to the alphabet mat, the larger space, and spread out. But sometimes they're so comfy and cozy there, they just do their turn and talk and then share right there where we are. So would you say that uh, based on the knowledge
1: you gained from the the PL session, from Lori Brown, Yes. um, the read aloud would have been the biggest impact change that you've done so far?
0: It would be the way that I've impacted the whole group and changed my routine in that way, but the p l and the learning of trauma informed approaches to teaching is finding its way into into other, other parts of, of my day. practice for sure
1: so can you give other examples besides the read aloud that
0: you can share the reflective listening mm-hmm. is a huge piece when a child is in a state of upset or crisis, I always tried to get on their level before the PL was quicker to tell them it was okay and to start to find solutions for them. So I thought, now, still get on their level. But I I wait. I wait. I let them have that mirror neuron moment and then I listen to them. For many of these kindergartners, their language ability is limited. Mm -hmm. So you need to allow a lot of space. And the reflective language back isn't always identical to their own. Sometimes you do have to try to fill the gaps. But she told us not to ask them questions right away. Yeah. So I, I don't ask the questions right away as quickly. And I don't start to offer solutions as quickly either. I give them space. And it helps them oftentimes regulate and then start to share their way to what they need. Right. As adults, we're guilty
1: of not allowing that quiet time or that silence to happen. And that silence is truly the reflective time. We're also guilty of saying, it's okay. And I'm guilty of that too. But in reality... For that person, it's not okay. Exactly. And and even uh, with my experience in in schools, uh, being in the classroom, I would hear other students telling each other, it's okay, it's okay. Because it's a learned behavior to automatically say, it's okay. But
0: for that person, it's not. It's not okay in that moment. Right. And sometimes we can get to, it's going to be okay. Mm -hmm. I'll help you get there.
1: Mm -hmm. So you said... uh, earlier when you described your, your read aloud, and you said it's not perfect. So what, are, what strategies do you use when it, it
0: goes a little bit afray and, and it's not perfect? Well, at the forefront, I'm carefully choosing who is sitting by whom, because as we all know, certain students are going to be a, a better fit, sitting beside one another than, than other students. So that is on the front end of it. And um, once seated, I'm monitoring for engagement and seeing how they're managing one another. There is a few practices in place, of course, to make sure that that's happening properly. I have a one, this is your opportunity to listen. I have two, is a, a change of seating. And then three is, this is something we're going to need to follow up and practice later. But they're in a a new seat to begin with, if it gets to that. We've also introduced um, a new self-regulation strategy with the help of our guidance counselor that I'm using in those moments as well, which involves a remote control and focusing and self-regulating. It's building those impulse control skills. So I will have just the sort of attention getter or shift, let's take out our remotes, and they're, they're imaginary, they're remotes in our mind, but I'll use my hand as a visual. Let's take out our remotes and I'll take my other hand and press it and turn our channel where are we focus and redirect the focus that way. There are, of course, certain students that need to be seated on the outskirts or in a chair. Beside our educational assistant in the class, if need be, as much as possible, I try to have them seated there with us. But if need be, if they're unable to sit and it's impacting others, then they're as close as they can be to still be a part of the experience, but not directly in that carpet space. But they're getting then the oxytocin from the educational assistant who will put an arm on them or provide that touch touch still so that they're connected. Do you have any other
1: examples that our listeners, teachers out there could use that are easy to incorporate into the classroom regardless of the grade level?
0: I have created a short mindfulness routine that's a series of affirmations that has been informed by what I learned in the PL as well. It's giving them an opportunity to have that oxytocin release from themselves because they're touching themselves as they go through a series. So the first, I have the students put their hands on their head. They take a breath in, mindfulness Mm -hmm. practice, a slow breath, mindful breath in, release it, and then they repeat the affirmation, I am smart. They bring their hands down and they give themselves a hug. So they wrap one arm around the other, their upper arms. I model for them and I show them to give themselves a hug and give that squeeze for another oxytocin release. And then I have them say, I am safe. For kids dealing with trauma, it's very hard for them to feel safe anywhere. So I wanted to make sure that that was a part of our routine and something I could empower them to do for themselves. So I am safe is the next piece. Then they bring their hands into their heart. Another breath in and they say, I am loved. I always make sure to tell them I don't know that every student is hearing it elsewhere. I want them to know that they're loved here. And then I just added an additional one that they reach their hand around. They give themselves a pat on the back and they say, I can make mistakes and learn to make that key piece of philosophy to help them as lifelong learners going forward. Make them realize that we're all growing. We're all growing. They have to be able to make mistakes. That's that's resiliency, right? right? That we make mistakes, we learn from them, and we keep going forward. So, based on the information
1: that you received at this PL session, the importance of touch is, you've mentioned, but it's not not necessarily touch from someone else. You could you could release those oxytocin those yes m- yourself. The power is within yourself. Yourself, yes. So. How do you see, if, if let's say, we're looking into the future, and in September uh, you of, of next school year, you are then placed in a grade 9 classroom. How do you see this oxytocin release being triggered in a grade 9 classroom?
0: It would have to look a little bit different. Absolutely. It is the nature of where those students are at. But is important that they have that, that they have that chance to calm down. They have the same and different reasons for being dysregulated, for experiencing trauma coming in, and the same need to feel safe yes. and secure and calm. The wording might change, but the affirmation exercise and that opportunity to have an oxytocin release from yourself that's something that honors everyone's autonomy and comfort level. And then you build in other ways of being close and connecting. As I said, it may be through how you assign small groups and what you assign them for. Right. But even as an adult, we can do that self, the self hug. Self hug. Absolutely. You know, that's. And you can always offer other opportunities. I, the other day, I had a colleague come in. She knew I was having a difficult day. said, I'm going to ask, and if you're not comfortable, say no. But you look like you could use a hug, a hug. the yeah. power of touch. I said, you know what? I could. Thank you. And it was just quick, but that moment of connection and that, that squeeze, that physical touch, that really helps us regulate, and it is because of that oxytocin release. Fascinating, isn't it? It is. It yeah. really is. And I'm continuing to read and learn and explore and find ways to apply it.
1: And as a teacher, you're always learning. You're, you never stop learning. Absolutely. You never stop growing. It doesn't matter uh, at what level you're at, what, what year you're in. There's always opportunities to learn, to grow, to, to improve your practices
0: because it just reflects right back on the students' learning and making them more successful. Exactly. And while I do have much work to do in the other areas, and those are also on my, on my list to do over the summer and where and when I can fit in time before then, I feel that this area is essential to make sure that I'm addressing the needs of these students as much as possible in this area so that they are safe enough and calm enough, and the classroom for everyone is regulated enough to get to the academic learning pieces meaningfully.
1: Right. Well, I hope through all this learning, you do take time for yourself, Melanie. It's yeah. important. Yes, you do need to take a break. So during the summer months, yes, learn, please do, but also uh, remove yourself from all of this and, and take some time for you. Thank you, I appreciate that well, I want to thank you for your time
0: thank that you. you that
1: we spent together. I really appreciate it. I wish you well as you start your profession in the in the teaching profession and uh I know you're going to learn uh, lots and go far because you you just give off that energy that you you want to grow and improve so i th- I thank you for that on behalf of all of the students in the, in the province
0: and uh, thank you for your time. Thank you for taking the time to highlight this important topic and for those kind words great. thank you for listening to highlight ed if you know of an inspiring new brunswick teacher that would make a great guest on one of our episodes please let us know don't forget to hit follow to not miss out on our future podcasts stay well and remember teachers do make a difference